Hi, I'm Bob Reef, and this is The View from San Diego Sport Innovators as we meet remarkable people in the San Diego lifestyle business. As everyone knows, there's something special about San Diego, 3.2 million people, lots of sunny days, but our ecosystem is also special. We're bounded on the west by the Pacific Ocean, on the east, of course, by our deserts and, and mountains, to the south by Mexico, and to the north by nice green boundary called Camp Pendleton that keeps Orange County and LA well to the north of us. And there's something about the stew of citizenship, of healthy living, of the ocean, the mountains, the deserts, and being somewhat insulated that's produced some really remarkable lifestyle brands. And the people that created those brands are obviously local San Diegans as well. So we hope that you join us over this series of podcasts as we meet these people up close and different. Looking forward to it. Good day to everyone. I'm Bob Reef. I'm the Executive Director of San Diego Sport Innovators here in sunny San Diego, of course, and welcome to our podcast, which is view, The View from My Old Bus. And uh, we're encouraging you to join us as we connect with the legendary founders of the amazing companies and the amazing companies that they've created here in our San Diego lifestyle community. You know, our community here used to be a cottage industry, but uh, times have certainly changed. Uh, and uh, now as, as we see the impact of people being outside and spending more time in our amazing environment, uh, we've seen businesses start to grow out of them where people had vocations uh, or avocations and change them into life dreams and change them into companies. And those companies grew from being regional uh, brands into something really big. And I, I'm just thinking, I'm making a quick list here while I was uh, waiting to get started. I mean, probably started, you know, interesting enough with Ralph Rubio, who started exporting, uh, of course, uh, you know, beach tacos back in the 70s. And since then, it's been, oh gosh, rainbow sandals or DC shoes or Reef or Volcom, or Prana, Liquid Force, Uggs. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot more that are not springing to mind right at this, this moment. But um, all of these little businesses have morphed into a pretty big thing now. And what was once a cottage community is now a $3.2 billion it has a, a $3.2 billion economic impact and over 42,000 employees and over 1,200 uh, businesses all in this single space. So our objective with the podcast is to, you know, to connect with founders and hear uh, their startup stories and uh, hear really what they're up to nowadays. And uh, when it comes to legendary brands that reflect the San Diego lifestyle, I don't think there's any better one than Sinook. It's a rare combination of uh, creativity, sense of humor, and a really uh, awesome founder in uh, Jeff Kelly here, hereafter known as JK for this podcast. So what's up, Jeff? Good morning. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Dude, you have a little uh, ring to your voice. Are you sending, uh, uh, sending us a signal through your uh, home studio or what's up? <laughs> I'm actually out in my, in my sprinter van on the road. Oh my gosh, Jeff, I wish people could see that Sprinter van. It's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> home away from home. Well, as I recall, when you started to look, you were identifying uh, your first uh, consumer group as the uh, the trailer folk, and it seems like you've reverted to it now, uh, 30 years later. I've always had a little bit of trailer trash in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes without saying. Now, let's not talk about that. I think we're all guilty. <laughs> Hey, Jesse, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to, uh, you know, kind of sh share the story, you know, the amazing things that happened and uh, 
uh, talk a little bit about the voyage. And, you know, in your case, it's really interesting um, because uh, in many of our interviews, we're talking to people who created businesses and exited them ultimately, you know, as they tried to scale them up or, or met other, some other personal goals. Certainly that's, that's true in your case, but uh, the, the funny thing, the interesting thing about you is that uh, when, when you completed your voyage with Sanook, you didn't get to the finish line. You actually got to the start line of what you're going to do with your life, right? Sure feels that way. I, I, I can't help but get involved in these exciting startups that come to me. So <laughs> I don't know. It probably never stopped. I'm pretty sure that that's the case. But before we get to the future, can we deal with the past a little bit? I mean, Jeff, uh, can you? How did you get started in this uh, so-called outdoor business? Because there wasn't one when you got started. No, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Huntington Beach, which was kind of the epicenter of the surfing world. It's where Quicksilver came from, Hurley came from, or Billabong back in the day. You know, and when I was a kid growing up at the pier, there really wasn't much of a surf industry. So um, I, I was in right in the middle of all of it as it happened. And in my particular case, um, I got into the industry through traction pads. Uh, wax was just slippery and kind of a pain in the butt. And Astrodeck had come out with a liquid that you poured on your board. You taped off the rails and poured this liquid on and put salt in it. And then when it dried, you hosed it off and then it created little bubbles and it worked really good. But it was a brace and it gave me a rash, which turned into a crater if you're surfing every day. So I peeled it off, went back to wax and said, this is stupid. So I got went on a mission to find something that would replace it and experimented with all kinds of crazy materials, carpet padding, you name it, and would put the stuff on with contact cement. And if it didn't work, it was a nightmare getting it off. Well, I finally found EVA, which is the plastic foam that cushions running shoe soles and um, was making some for my friends who happened to be, you know, the most prominent surfers in Huntington that everybody looked up to. Everybody started asking me about them. So I had people come to my house and I was making pads in the garage for people. And finally I realized, okay, this is either going to be a business or it's not. So um, I called up a buddy of mine, Peter Townen, who's, um, who was the very first world champion. He was over living in my neighborhood because he was dating my best friend's uh, older daughter at the time that he then married and had kids with. And I said, hey, PT, what, what do you think I should do? Should I try to make a business out of this? And I had just got my real estate license or should I just go do real estate? And he goes, well, you can always do real estate. Why don't I make a couple phone calls for you? So he calls Pete Dooley on the East Coast who owned Natural Art at the time and they had distribution all up the East Coast. Pete's younger brother just got out of college and wanted to start a rep network. So I made a bunch of pads, flew over there and um, jumped in the car and followed those guys up the coast as they delivered boards and every single surf shop bought the traction pads from me. So um, that was really like, that's what set me in the direction that set me in the direction that I, I'm in. So that uh, went on, ended up selling that company. Um, when I had started it though, it was kind of a funny story. <laughs> there was two brothers from Argentina that started Reef, Fernando and Santiago. And I was at a trade show and the the grip was called track top that I sold, but originally it was called grip deck. And Fernando Santiago had these striped sandals in half their booth and then grip deck in the other half. It was the same material that I had. And um, I owned the name. So I ended up telling them I had to shut them down. Then they came back to me and they bought the name for me and I changed the name to track top, but I met them through that. And then as the business, the traction business started to blossom for me, I knew they wanted to be in the sandal business and not really the traction business. So I went back to them and said, hey, if we can get your factory to make the traction pads for me at the same quality that I can make here, 
I'll buy the pads from you and I'll help you start your sandal company. So I got all my traction reps to, to jump on board with Reef Sandals. And then when I sold the traction company, Reef offered me an equity position to come down and run sales for them. So um, that was kind of a fun run. Um, we did pretty good. We went from about 2 million to about 22 million. And uh, I had some other things I wanted to do with my life. So I ended up leaving Reef. And um, after about a year out of the industry, realized I really was the best industry you could possibly be in. So I wanted to get back into it. And um, I was always into weird footwear as a kid. I used to make sandals for my friends out of like bicycle tires and stuff in the garage in like eighth grade. And I didn't see anybody doing anything unique in foot in footwear in um, the industry. So I decided to start a, my own sandal company, which I called Sanook and Sanook means fun in Thai um, and created sandals that were wrapped footbeds with leopard and green carpet. And the green carpet one was called the for real funny name. Funny how that that happened was when I first went over to the factory to manufacture some stuff. I saw a roll of indoor outdoor carpet laying in the corner and I asked if I could have a piece and I wrapped some shoes with it. And I thought they were amazing, <laughs> brought them home. And when I landed in LA, stopped in Huntington and showed them to Bobby at Jack's. And he gave me this look like he felt sorry for me when he saw the sandals because <laughs> I was all excited about it. And then the kid behind the counter goes, oh my God, those are the coolest sandals I've ever seen. And Bobby looks at me, he goes, is this for real? And that's where the sandal name came from. <laughs> so the for real became the flagship of the brand and we made, made little mini air. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question. I mean, of course, I, I know that story, but uh, was this before that you, you, you had the brand name? I mean, was the for real the very first product or the wire sandal first before the name? No, the, the for real was first with the leopard skin. Uh -huh. Those were the first two that I did. And then um, those really sort of, the the surf industry didn't really understand the stuff because it was crazy nobody ever seen anything like that but oddly enough at that point in time diesel and a lot of the fashion brands were promoting sort of this trailer trash lifestyle so all of a sudden fred siegel louis boston neiman marcus all all these upscale boutiques were buying my flip-flops and the surf shops weren't they were carrying it because we were friends, but not into any kind of quantity. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until like Brad Pitt and all these celebrities started showing up wearing the stuff that it kind of created a vacuum effect that allowed me to get the rest of the stuff into the stores. And then it, it took off from there. But after uh, after the crazy um, introduction of the for real and the whole trailer trash flip flop, I was in uh, the factory and had just gotten out of the airport headed to the factory and got in a cab and it was raining. So my feet were wet and I took my sandals off and went to wipe them on the mat in the cab. And um, the, the material was the extruded PVC looks like spaghetti and it felt uh, floor mats in the cab. It felt so good on my foot. I bought the guy's mats out, out of his cab and made some footbeds on some sandals. And that was the wired sandal, which became over 50% of our sales at that point. <laughs> So, um, but Sanook was still a, a seasonal brand as were all sandal companies at that point. And um, I was running quite a bit. And one morning I was running in my New Balance shoes on the stairs in Cardiff where our office was. And then later that afternoon, I went surfing and ran back up the stairs barefoot and noticed that my range of motion and the efficiency of running the stairs barefoot was so much better than having all of those muscles in my feet isolated by the shoes, which caused me to use all leg muscle. 
And so I realized that if I were able to make a shoe on a sandal footbed, it would be flexible like being barefoot and that it would feel more like walking naturally. So when I was in the factory the next time, I just took one of our popular sandals and put a shoe upper, a deconstructed shoe upper on it, walked around the factory and I knew instantly that I was onto something. Um, and so that was the sidewalk surfer category. And that then we introduced a line of sandal shoes that hung on racks like flip-flops with a tagline that says, this is not a shoe, it's a sandal. And that was the beginning of the whole hanging footwear category. In addition to the beginning of the whole natural movement motion, which Nike then followed with their free category and everybody in the world jumped on. Um, but the beauty of this, the flip-flop is that it was embraced by the rock climbing community initially because rock climbers want their feet to be strong and having the shoe bend and flex and move the way your foot's designed to move helps keep your arch and everything else strong. So that allowed Sanook to get into REI and all the outdoor stores. And we sponsored a bunch of the top climbers in the world, Chris Sharma, Daniel Woods. Um, and from there, it just literally took off like crazy. It's, it certainly did. And uh, I want to come back and ask you some questions about the journey. But uh, so uh, ultimately, you uh, and uh, your partners, you were you were able actually to, to sell into a major company with uh, kind of global distribution, right? That was the the natural conclusion of your connection with Sanook? Yeah, um, I was working with a licensee in the United States and um, they were amazing. We never would have got to where we were at without them, but I, I felt like the brand had so much more potential and it was gonna take a lot more investment. So we started, we decided that we would sell Sanook to um, a brand with a global reach that could really take it to where we all thought it could go. So we hired a banking firm and they um, approached quite a few different large companies, Wolverine, Deckers, who ultimately we ended up going with. Deckers is, um, was a footwear powerhouse. They owned Ugg, Teva Sandals. Now they have Hoku, they still have Sanook. Um, and we just felt with their reach and their ability to um, fund the brand that it would take it to where we couldn't take it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jeff, uh, you know, well, first of all, a couple of things, you know, uh, I, I know you quite well, but I, I think you just demonstrated your curiosity and constant awareness of, about new creative things. And uh, I think if there's one lesson to, to be known other than the fact that you're such a friendly and fun person to, to have uh, as a friend is that uh, you are constantly thinking about things. Pushing <laughs> around with stuff and inventing better things and whatnot, but you know, one of the purposes of our little um, uh, podcast is to provide some people some insights who are just thinking about getting going. And I wondered if you um, if you could go back and tell us how you came up with the name and the logo and your positioning statement, because I, I think it was really fundamental to your success. Yeah, well, um, when when I started Sanook, all the brands were sort of alienating the older culture. And I think they were missing the boat because people my age started having kids and we were taking them on surf trips and we were enjoying surfing as a family versus uh, youth against establishment, which was kind of the main tagline for most of the brands in the surf industry. Mm -hmm. And with Sanook, I wanted it to be something that everyone could embrace so that your, your kid, if your kid or one of the kids saw dad wearing Sanooks, they go, oh, that's a cool dad right there. 
Um, and that was sort of the lifestyle that, that I had with all my friends that had kids. Most of us didn't have fathers that surfed, so we didn't have that relationship. So I was looking for something that could be embraced by everybody. And um, I was looking for a name that was a positive name. And I was with a friend of mine that was manufacturing jewelry for Home Shopping Network. And on the inside of some of his rings was the word Sanook. And I asked him what it meant. And he said, oh, it means fun in Thai. I make my jewelry in Thailand. And I said, are you using this for a brand? He goes, no, no, it's just a mark in case I get a return from somebody else. I know it's not mine if it doesn't say that in it. I go, that would be a perfect name for my flip-flop company. He goes, yeah, you should do it. I'm not really using it. So I looked around. And as you know, in today's world, if you don't come up with a, a random name like Ruka or Volcom or something, and you're trying to be a global brand, you run into issues registering your name uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. But the name Sanook was available, including in Thailand, where we register it, it as well. So, and it also, because it meant fun, I wanted to have something to go along with that. So our tagline became smile, pass it on. And the U in Sanook was a happy face icon we called Happy U. And that really set the precedence for the brand. You know, interestingly, you know, as uh, I think we, we, we were intuitively, we knew that that was very valuable. But I think, you know, in retrospect, the, it's one of the most perfect alignments of, of, of brand and logo, that, you know, that I've ever seen. Because first of all, the name is memorable. Second thing is Happy You has some personal connotations, right? And it gave you license to market in all kinds of ways. I'm thinking about the, the Smile Mobile as an example. Um, and then the Smile Pass It On, it, 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 it uh, provided uh, continuity and spoke perfectly to the mission and also to your marketing mission, which I remember very clearly you insisting upon always be happy, friendly and unusual and not at anybody's expense. And right. I, I think all those things uh, really came together. And uh, so, Jeff, I mean, I know you were a highly educated young person like me and that uh, you, you got your Ph.D. when you were 14, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Gosh, I mean, Jeff, so what's the most unusual job you ever had? Well, it's it's the job that set me on a mission. I mean, I'm. For the record, I just graduated high school and never went to college. The word was never even brought up in my home. <laughs> so I knew I was going to have to make a go of it on my own. And um, one of the jobs I had was working for a friend of mine in Orange County whose family had the license for the coroner's office to do what's called first call work, where you go out and pick up people when they die. And it's not a pretty job, but it teaches you that life is fragile and could end at any moment. Um, and that sort of put me on a path to only do things that I love to do and never do something for money because I was picking guys up who had all kinds of money and they were young and never really got to a point where they had a chance to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's the journey along the way that you must enjoy and you need to focus on that no matter what you're doing. Don't do it for money. Do it for love and passion. Amen. What, what absolutely fantastic advice. And it's interesting in our, in our little uh, accelerator, which, you know, we've graduated now over a hundred companies. Um, we used to have a, uh, a part of the deck that was about exiting, you know, how to form your company and then how to exit it. And we took it out because the message was get a company going for, you know, for money, you know, and, and to get behind it and plan to get out of it. And uh, I think that uh, how you handle Sanook and is really a great example of how it should be done. I mean, you have a passion for creativity. You came from a uh, really simple background like all of us did. I, I never made it through college either. And uh, and I, I think we knew early on you had to work. 
And I was always willing to work, but I never had that creative eye you, you have. And uh, so what are you up to now? Now that you, your Sunuk is an amazing chapter and now you're at the start line of the next phase of your life. Well, I was lucky enough through the industry to meet a lot of incredibly talented people. And, you know, we've, we've remained family and people reach out to me and I have all kinds of opportunities to get involved in things. The first thing I did after Sunuk was I was approached by the group that started uh, St. Archer Beer here in San Diego um, and decided to get involved with that. And after four years, we spun that off to Miller Coors. Um, I also got involved through Donovan Frankenrider, who was my original team rider, was sponsored by a company that had a tea that was stored in a pressurized cap. And it's a, basically a bottle of water. And when you twist the cap, it fires the tea into it and fresh brews it. Even if it's been sitting on the shelf for three years, you're still getting 100% of the antioxidants and things because of the way that it's preserved. So that's been a really fun run. I'm still involved with that. Um, through St. Archer, uh, Josh Kerr, who was a partner, you know, amazing surfer from Australia, great family man. He um, invited me to get involved in a startup beer company in Australia called Balter mm -hmm. with Mick Fanning, Parco and B. Derbage. Um, and they positioned it not so much to be an action sports brand, but more to be like a working man's brand. And that has done phenomenally well. Um, Balter is an Aussie term that uh, Mick Fanning actually named the company. It means to dance artlessly without any particular skill or grace, but usually with enjoyment. <laughs> it's a fantastic wow. name that we need to <laughs> we need to have here. But <laughs> anyway, that's doing great. And now um, I'm doing a, a natural deodorant with um, Jeremy Horowitz and Blair Marlin. Blair's been in uh, managed surfers and and athletes for quite a while. And Jeremy has been in the industry off and on and was uh, originally the um, attorney for the Padres. Mm -hmm. So good friend, great surfers. Um, so we're doing Hume. And uh, most recent thing is a, a medical device, which is um, for doing EKGs using kinesiology tape. Mm -hmm. And you can just keep the thing on for 72 hours. They don't have to put it on and then take it off. And it has a universal port. so every machine that's out there can plug into it without having to worry about um, changing machines when you go from the ambulance to the hospital if you have to have that on. Hmm. Fascinating. Did you ever think about like inventing a, a bike that might work on water? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to hear that story? <laughs> I, think, I think the product is uh, really amazing, fascinating, <laughs> unexpected. Yeah. Well, I got involved in uh, in the I mean, you, there's, you know, you just keep throwing darts. Sometimes you hit bullseyes, sometimes you don't. Yeah. Um, I had been working on a bike that you could attach to a stand-up paddleboard. And um, a buddy of mine that started events.com was at my house. And somebody from San Francisco had sent him two water bikes. And he said, hey, JK, I don't think this guy knows what he's doing. He's got a product that's pretty cool, but I think he needs some help branding. So I went for a ride on the bikes. So I was like, oh, this is great. And um, called the guy up and uh, ended up bringing a couple of buddies in, going to trade shows, booking container loads of these things, bringing his cost from 3000 down to 2000 on first cost. And this thing was ready to rock and roll. And then he embezzled all of our cash. Uh -oh. So <laughs> well, I didn't mean to bring it up for that. I was just thinking about the video you sent me with a shark circling you on your, on your bike down in Mexico. 
Yeah, that was recently. I was, uh, it was funny, a turtle had swam up and bumped into the pontoon. So I was videotaping the turtle. And as I went to put the phone back in the cradle, I saw a fin coming about 40 yards away. So I started filming it and then it kept coming at me. And when it got to about 15 feet away, I realized it was about an eight and a half, nine foot bull shark. And I'm like, oh, wow. Um, and it just calmly kind of swam up to me, tipped sideways, looked at me and just kept going. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. That's up close and personal. Well, you know, just to know uh, among uh, the sports that interest you is, uh, well, let's say you're active in surf, you, you like to ride motorcycles and bikes, and you're also playing golf. Anything happening there? You can invent a new golf shoe or something fun for us? Um, I'm working on a couple things, yeah. <laughs> you're too much. I've got a putter I'm working on right now, but the first one I made didn't, I sent it in to uh, get approval for... Uh, PGA approval and uh, it was denied. So now I'm working on a model that'll a little pass. Have have, uh, have times changed, Jeff? When people denied you things in the past, it seemed to result in a a, a spurt of creativity and enthusiasm. <laughs> it seems like that's a motivator for you. Yeah, I mean, there's there you know the rules change too in golf. The 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 putter I designed originally was. Um, would have been approved 20 years ago but they changed the rules yeah um and uh not that it matters i mean most players can play with a putter that's not pga approved it's irrelevant for most players but um you know to get one on the tour and get it in the hands of somebody that everybody's going to see on tv every sunday means you have to have something that's conforming yeah absolutely although i must say jeff that is the first time i've ever heard you say conforming <laughs> it's a tough one for me the inclusion of your name and conforming never in the same sentence ever, man. So, Jeff, I mean, uh, thinking back to the days when you start and you you know, certainly had to struggle for money and so on, uh, you, do you have any uh, guidance or words, words of wisdom for, for young people who are trying to get started? I mean, well, I mean, first thing you got to realize is that you don't know everything, you know, and I'm the creative side of things. I can envision the product and how to get it to market and all of that, but I'm not going to be good at doing the numbers and making sure the inventory is spot on. So I would say hire really good quality people or get really quali good quality people involved that, that have your back on the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate in my career to, to have a, an attorney that I used to license to um, register the name Sanook um, decide to leave the law firm and come on board with me and not that didn't make his hat family very happy <laughs> it was making great money as a lawyer and he came on board of like a three million dollar sandal company and his parents wanted to kill him but uh, ian kessler was was a major asset for me and i never would have been able to do what i did without having the support of him on the back end mm -hmm. yeah he's been a great partner but I, i'm thinking back you know like when did you decide to Maybe everybody listening wouldn't know, but you you selected a really well-known uh, company who provided uh, warehousing distribution and sort of backroom services. How did you recognize that you needed those services? Just because we were growing too fast at the time, and it was either going to be do a license deal with somebody that has the infrastructure in place to go from 15 to 100 million, or be in a constant mode of trying to keep the business going and continually raising money to get from here to here to here. 
And uh, we decided to go with someone that already had the infrastructure and the financing in place to allow us to do that seamlessly. And, um, you know, that's the license deal is a little difficult because um, the licensee doesn't own any of your brand. So the incentive for a licensee is to take as much money off the table as they possibly can during the license period versus if you own the business, you're, you have an incentive to invest if there's growth. So I think, you know, ultimately you got to make that decision or you've got to make the licensee if they work out um, in a position where they actually have ownership so that it, it incentivizes them to fund the, the brand at the pace that it could grow. Well, tell you what, uh, Jeff, I know you got to go here in a minute, but that's, that is really, uh, I think, really excellent advice. Uh, one of the biggest, I think, the biggest challenges for young people is exactly how are you going to finance this growth? And I know in the company that you selected that they, they always are standing tall and, and placing orders. Uh, they needed persuasion, but on the other hand, there was never a lack of investment on their part. And I think they played a big role in making it happen. No question about it. I think that's that's the principal challenge that we hear in our uh, in our accelerator. And as you know, we've we've helped the, those little companies raise now almost ninety million dollars. And it, you wow. know, it's really bridge money to get them to a partnership, for instance, like you had, where you can have a licensee or focus in on your strength and co let other people, experts, uh, cover off on what you don't have. Yeah. Well, well, Jeff, I, I you know. Um, I don't want to embarrass you, man, but you are a force of nature and uh, the whole entire industry is so happy to have you in our community and continue to champion creativity. Uh, certainly, you're the most creative person I've run into in quite a long time. And uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Bob. L glad I could help out. Talk soon. Thanks, buddy. That closes today's uh, uh, podcast. It's, uh, as usual, very inspiring and, and thought-provoking. I'd just like to leave you with one thought that I heard growing up, and, and that is, uh, come on up to the high road. There's plenty of room. Mm -hmm.